I have to tell you, from a news standpoint, this weekend, or this week rather, felt like a month of big stories all bundled into five short days. And there is no one better to dive into all of it, to pull the threads on a lot of them, than Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks. Hey, great to be on the show. Congrats on the on the new show. It's great. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you. I was looking forward to having you on for the first yeah, time. So yeah. thanks for making it happen tonight. Um, I guess we should just start where we started tonight, truckers, convoys. I know that Victoria is also... Um, you know, ex- ex- expecting people tomorrow, and um, you know, there's concern too. From I guess we've heard from the uh, from the public safety minister and so on tonight. Yeah, and what's interesting, it, it, given the events in Ottawa, which I think is a wake up call to a lot of cities there, where Ottawa was sort of caught napping, I think, not realizing how this thing could develop, and you're seeing now cities and police forces appear to be taking preemptive action in the expectation these protests will spread. Toronto police are now uh, putting up barricades in downtown Toronto to prevent trucks from congregating in certain areas. Not sure what's going to happen in Victoria, Ben, but I wouldn't be surprised if we wake up to uh, some streets around the legislature blocked off by police. The rumor is that um, the truckers want to come in and line up on on Belleville Street in front of the legislature and park there for an entire week. Uh, and I think the police are going to do everything they can to stop that uh, from happening. Uh, Nova Scotia has invoked emergency legislation to prevent blockades of trucks. So governments seem to be moving with pretty good speed now on a preemptive basis after witnessing you know weeks' worth of events in Ottawa. And even the Ottawa police today um, sort of changed its tactics, put out a long Twitter thread explaining how it's going to be doing things differently uh, in the next uh, short while. So it's it's going to be a lively weekend, though, and this thing doesn't seem to be ending in Ottawa anytime soon. No, you make an interesting point about uh, about catching people off guard because, of course, that's been the big question in Ottawa all week is we knew this was coming, so how come it wound up like this? Uh, we've been talking about it all week as well, you know, the difficulties police have in both respecting the right to congregate, the right to protest versus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rights of citizens in their own cities uh, to be able to walk around and move around. Um but I mean, I, I wonder what's going to happen now if we see another one of these, if we see another one in another city, if we see a repeat of it, whether we're on the verge of something bigger or this will be fleeting. Because, I mean, you've seen lots of these protest movements over the years. They do come and go. Uh, it's hard to tell where, whether this one has a lot of legs, especially with the GoFundMe announcement tonight as well. Uh, yeah, the GoFundMe might be a crippling blow. There's also lawsuits now being lodged against uh, some of these truckers, and that involves expensive lawyers. That may prove enough to stand these events down, but we're sort of in uncharted territory here. You're right, we, we see, you know, protests and protest camps and such. don't think we've ever seen anything like what we were seeing in Ottawa. I think there was an expectation, too, with the bitter cold in Ottawa, like who in their right mind was, would uh, freeze in their trucks uh, overnight for a prolonged period of time? Surely you're going to go home and get warm. Well, that was turned to be a wrong assumption. So, again, I think it's a... It's a little unclear exactly where these things are going to go. Uh, there seems to be a rising view amongst the people involved in this. They want a, a prolonged, entrenched protest. And uh, I, th- I think it will play out differently in different parts of uh, the country. But I do think it's interesting. Police forces now seem to be taking a more proactive approach. And I think the sort of sit, on, sit back and let people protest uh, is being replaced by pressure from citizens who are just sick and tired of what's happening in a place like Ottawa and other municipalities just don't want to even start to go through something like that. Yeah, because as we've seen, once everyone's parked, it's hard to hard to move them along at that point. Hard um, to move a big truck. <laughs> one of the exact one of the things that came up this week that was that was ironic, of course, was that if the if the convoy headed to Ottawa was there really to get rid of um, 
Justin Trudeau. It was, in fact, Aaron O'Toole who found himself yeah. without a job, or at least without yeah. his leadership job this week. Did that's? I mean, I, I was a bit surprised by how decisive the vote was within yeah, caucus. I was, now, that, yeah, seventy-three forty-five. I think I thought, yep. O'Toole's people were putting out a story the night before, the day before. Well, it's really close. We're really working the phones, giving the impression that maybe he's going to be able to hang on here. But you're right; that was a very decisive vote, and it shows you again just how small support he had in this caucus since the election. I think the trucker convoy played a role in this, but I think uh, his fate seemed to be sealed after that election loss because they went backwards, not forward. And it became clear in the election that he was fighting off a right-wing rearguard action in his own caucus, and he was trying to have it both ways, and as a result didn't look strong, uh, a strong leader on any issue. So he kept flip-flopping on gun control. He wasn't strong on the vaccination mandates or the vaccination status of his, of his caucus members. So at the end of the day, I guess we shouldn't have been surprised by the decisiveness, but nevertheless, anytime a leader gets taken out by a caucus, it's always dramatic, and no yeah. one really anticipates which, how it's going to go or how it's going to unfold in a particular fashion. And this one had uh, all the drama that we've seen previously. You've seen lots of opposition leaders come and go. Where do you think Aaron O'Toole went wrong here? Was it, was he, did he not win over his own his own team enough was he did he not consult enough about what he wanted to do because i think his political instincts weren't incorrect about obviously trying to be more appealing to the suburban vote that's the only way the conservatives are going to form power uh but clearly he didn't sell it to his own party and according to a lot of the reports now didn't try very hard to yeah you know i think he was correct i agree with you the way to power is to win over the suburban voters and the urban voters not just concentrate on rural alberta but for every time he tried to go there, he took two steps back by trying to placate, you know, the People's Party or the right-wing rump of his own party. Uh, he was afraid of his own shadow on some of these issues that uh, he'd get pushback, whether it was vaccination status, whether it was gun control, whether it was marching in a pride parade. He seemed to be afraid of that right-wing faction of the party and refused to take them on, refused to say, no, this is, I'm the leader, my way or the doorway, uh, and try, again, tried to have it both ways, and as a result, just looked weak and uh, uninspiring for, to many people. I'm wondering now who's going to step in, like who who is out there who can, I mean, there's all the obvious choices, the Pierre Polyevs and so on, but I'm wondering who else out there could, could surprise, because someone must think at this point that this might be a decent time to lead the Conservative Party, if you could, I mean, or, or the opposite. But, you know, the, the Trudeau government isn't exactly particularly popular these days. You would think no. a really strong Conservative leader might have a good shot if they thought they could keep that party unified. Well, it's interesting. So the party now has hitched its wagon for now to the truckers' convoy. I don't think that convoy is particularly popular in the suburban areas of Montreal, uh, Toronto, and Vancouver. And that's, again, your point earlier, that's where elections are won or lost. That's where all the ridings are. So whoever wants to become leader either wants to become the leader of a party that wins in those areas or, in the case of Pierre Polyev and some of the other names floated around, is quite happy to take the party in the opposite direction and become a little more hawkish on the right, right-wing right side of the, of the political spectrum. So, you know, names like Peter McKay now have been floated, who would certainly be a red Tory uh, to take the party to the center. Um, uh, you got Brad Wall, the former, former Premier of Saskatchewan, who so far has said no, but he's going to be under pressure to run. Uh, and Pierre Polyev, and there'll be a couple other members of the, of the current caucus who will, who will want to take a stab at it. But you know, they, they've had a leadership problem for years now. Andrew Shear, Aaron O'Toole, uh, an uninspiring selection for some time. And they may end up with another uninspiring uh, candidate to emerge from this as well, who will no, do no better than O'Toole come the next election. 
I was interested that the interim leader, Candace Bergen, uh, almost right away, and you know, you know how party politics works. Someone, someone has to have leaked this to the Canadian press, but right away there was a story out about how she had sort of said, "I don't think we should be asking the truckers to go home and trying to get the, you know, pin this on on Trudeau." And yeah, do you think that do you think that's a wise strategy? Do you think that's going to no. work? It doesn't feel like it's going to work. No, and I think I think the conservatives are now starting to question. Some of them are starting to question their their sort of knee jerk um, initial reaction is, "Oh, the truck the." Tr- the trucker convoy is against Trudeau, therefore we're with the trucker convoy because we're against Trudeau. And I think their blind rage at Trudeau has clouded their judgment here. And to think that, the you know, I've seen at least two polls now, one by Abacus and one by Innovative Research, that both mirrored the findings of each other. The convoy is opposed by two-thirds of the electorate, but, but supported by one-third of the electorate. Well, one-third is exactly what the Conservatives received in the vote in the last election, give or take a, a, a one percentage point. And I think the Conservatives sort of mistook the fact that they need to grow, not to remain status quo. And that's why they, they suddenly, I think, hitched their wagon to the convoy. Now we see uh, a senator has quit the Conservative caucus, Dennis Pattis from, from Nunavut, uh, over this issue. And you've got a Quebec MP um, also breaking with, the, with his caucus on this issue. So there's starting to be some cracks in the Conservative um, caucus. And I see Candace Bergen seems to have changed her message a bit. She now seems to be leaning towards maybe it's time for everyone to decamp and go home. Uh, she doesn't seem to be as hawkish as she was on her first day on the job. I want to talk briefly about uh, the BC Liberal leadership race, because, of course, they've been in power for 16 years. It has been a tough few years since uh, they haven't been. And uh, we're supposed to have a decision, I believe, this weekend to find out who the new leader is. But is this still in front of the courts? Well, yeah, what, a fellow went to court today uh, claiming all uh, sorts of illegal, illegal um, sign-ups within the sign-up process. So it's one member, one vote. There's, what, every leadership race, Ben, that I've seen that's gone to this one member, one vote has been hit with allegations of improper sign-ups, you know, 15 people at one address. We famously had a cat register as a voter in the 2012 B.C. Liberal election leadership race. So I don't think that that's going to – I'd be surprised if a, if a judge halted the, the counting because the vote's been going on for a couple of days now. We right. should get the winner announced uh, Saturday night between 6 and 7. That, that's the goal, but I've seen delays before. And it's been a very lackluster race, uh, partly yeah. because we're in a pandemic. It's hard to get publicity to usual political events. And also, it's a very weak field, lots of inexperience. The convention se- conventional wisdom seems to be that Kevin Falcon, the former uh, longtime cabinet minister in the Gordon Campbell government, is the favorite to win this. But it's a preferential ballot system where crazy things can happen, because when you go to vote, you, you, make, you vote for one person, but then you rank your second, third, fourth, and up to five, um, you know, second through uh, five choices. Right. And when someone drops off, their second choices are, you know, they're redistributed amongst the other candidates. And Falcon doesn't seem to have a lot of support from any of the other camps. So if he doesn't win this on the first or second ballot, some of the speculation is someone else might leapfrog him with, with more support on the preferential ballot system. I'd be surprised if he loses, but crazier things have happened. Yeah, we've seen that happen with the likes of Stéphane Dion, and I believe it happened yep. with Andrew Wilkinson last time, too. Stay, staying at the legislature, John Horgan was back at work this week after his cancer treatment. Uh, did you get a chance to see him? How's he doing? Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, we sort of met on the front steps for a, just a couple of us and, and him for a bit of a photo op and a sort of very informal chat. He looked a lot better than I thought. He Look, he lost, he's lost 25 pounds, but, you know, he doesn't look like someone who's been 35, um, you know, chemo or remission uh, right. 
uh, treatments. Uh, he's, his voice is quite strong. He says he's a little weak in the, late in the afternoon. He gets his energies down. He, but he chaired the Council of the Federation meeting today with all the premiers, yeah. had a news conference that went on for an hour, uh, and was in very good shape. So, you know, I think he's, he's come through this uh, quite well. The legislature resumes sitting next week. Horgan will be there front and center. And a lot of people wondered if that was even possible back in mid-December when he, when he uh, started to go undergo his treatment for throat cancer. On World Cancer Day, no less, as well, yeah. uh, today. Um, what I did want to talk about this, because I know you've been talking about this, and I've been fascinated by it. I was actually in Vancouver last weekend, but you know, I, it's hard sometimes to figure out exactly how this story has, has brewed up. These random attacks happening in Vancouver mm-hmm. seem to be really dominant conversation. How has it become such a big deal now? And, and, and I guess there's been a couple of really high-profile events. Well, and it's every time one of these things is captured on television, that really brings it home. And we've seen video now um, several times of these random violent assaults. And we had another one, I think, in Chinatown today or yesterday, where you know we, we had a series of racist um, assaults on Asian Canadians. That seemed to be what the cycle was. Now it's it's that plus just other assaults randomly. Um, there's some mental health issues at play here, obviously, on the streets. Um, and it's going to be interesting whether this turns into a, a hot election issue come the fall municipal elections. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart is insisting Vancouver is a safe city, which I suppose if you're the mayor, that's what you got to say. On the other hand, people are trying to get him or criticize him for at least not acknowledging that there does seem to be a serious problem in, in some parts of the city why this is occurring. I know someone who was attacked randomly, uh, hit over the head, walking in downtown Vancouver about six months ago. Um, again, no explanation. The police never did find out what, who that person was. But these assaults are occurring. I'm not sure they're occurring with, with you know, incredible uh, frequency. It's just when they do occur, they certainly get a profile that wasn't there uh, before. And that's what has heightened, I think, public concern over this uh, bizarre and often very troubling uh, series of events. I gather the VPD did some look, uh, did some research into this, and, and figured out it's really happening in a very, in a fairly limited space downtown, Yale Town, mm-hmm. like sort of those areas. Um, and again, I, what was curious though, I found is that uh, almost, almost in half of the stranger assaults, a weapon is used, um, which which yeah. struck me as being you know, uh, you know alarming. To say well, there least. was a terrible stabbing at uh, Tim Hortons just. Um uh, just a short time ago, they finally caught the guy, but he just randomly went up to someone and started stabbing them in the back of the neck with a yeah. with a small knife. I mean, it is um, it is very troubling. It is scary. And it is some part. You know, you mentioned Yaletown. Well, Yaletown is a pretty upscale part of the city, but there is yeah. some dark elements to Yaletown. Um, you know, I lived in the downtown east side as a university student. Uh, right on the edge of it, and back then it was a it was a rundown place, no question, and, and lots of poverty, but nowhere near the menacing situation that exists there now. Nowhere near the mental health issues on the street that exist now that weren't there 20 years ago. And you combine that with desperate situations in personal lives, and access to to weapons and addiction issues, and it's just a recipe for often disaster. And that's what we're seeing play out in some neighborhoods. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for that municipal election as well. I mean, how do you stop random crime and how do you campaign for it? I suppose it would have to be a much broader uh, a broader campaign message either about law and order or about, you know, helping people out more on the other side, a more progressive uh, approach. Uh, Keith Baldry, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on tonight. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Have a great weekend. Let's do it again, Ben. Take care.